Welcome back to Wait, Roll That Again. My name is Alex, and I'm a podcaster and aspiring game designer. If this is your first time joining the show, welcome. My goal over this first season is to design a brand new tabletop role-playing game from the ground up. The only catch is, I've never done this before. So I'm calling in help from some of the industry's talented designers to share their experience and tips with us to get a head start on this whole game design thing. So come along, let's make a game together. And maybe you'll be inspired to make a game too. On the first episode of the show, we talked to game designer Morg Davey about the elements of tabletop role-playing game design and how to actually get started. He talked about finding a rainbow to chase, a core concept to hold onto as we figure out our way through the details of our project. I decided on the basic concept for the game, a Halloween-themed game about dressing up in power-imbuing costumes and fighting animated decorations, strengthening friendships, and earning some candy along the way. Between episodes, I wrote the first design update, which talks more about this concept in depth, which you can find linked below. Last time, we also heard from the players in my recent Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Here's Liam again, talking about how the D&D experience has made him excited to try new games. With D&D, it's sort of, I know for me and watching the rest of us get so into it and Mm -hmm. the outside of the session discussions and the messages and stuff, I feel like playing has sort of unlocked the sort of the gateway for RPG for us Mm -hmm. that we're sort of keen to try whatever um, and see where it goes because obviously we're all capable even if some of us enjoy the role-playing aspect more than others or find it more difficult we're um, all of us are, and I can say that confidently, are like good at it because we're all so interested in it. Um, and so I think that we could tackle any sort of game that was nice. presented in front of us. Mm. So I'm very, very interested to see what you can come up with, especially taking um, the things that we've been able to share. We need to look at what's out there to get some inspiration and eventually find our own voice. The designers already working are really experienced, and it would be a great idea to see how they've made certain things work. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of game design, I'll put my researcher's hat on and hit the books. But I'm not exactly sure how to. These books are dense, and even simple games can be difficult to parse. I went looking for someone who knows exactly how to read these books for information, and who's already teaching people how to study them. She's a prolific designer, having worked on big titles, but also the director of the Storytelling Collective, a group dedicated to help aspiring creatives find their processes and improve their own work. Uh, I'm Ashley Warren. I'm the founder and director of the Storytelling Collective. I've been involved in tabletop writing for uh, the past several years, and I love to work with other aspiring tabletop designers to write their first adventures, learn new games, and um, you know, basically get their foot in the door in the industry. I think I first heard about you uh, with the, the the RPG Write Your First Adventure um, month-long workshop. I think it's, am I getting that name right? That's an amazing program that I think has done a huge amount of work at getting people into the, the actual thing of game design. I mean, you've got probably a number of very successful alumni from there um, who've been able to go on and keep doing the, the amazing work. How did you um, get started with that? What led you to create the programs? Write Your First Adventure, which was originally just called the RPG Writer Workshop, began in 2018, in July of 2018. And at the time, I had been writing adventures for DMs Guild and was really uh, passionate about writing and publishing 
Dungeons and Dragons content. And even though I had come from a publishing background, I had been a journalist, I had done fiction writing, I had uh, ran a magazine, um, I went to school for English literature and grad school for literacy studies. Like I had done a lot within writing and publishing, but I was still relatively new to writing for tabletop. And I just happened to be really obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons and knew that there was a platform called Dungeon Masters Guild that my DM had told me about. And so at the time of starting the RPG Writer Workshop, I'd only been writing D&D adventures for about six months at that point, but I was, I had gone all in on it very quickly. Um, like as, when I published my first adventure uh, in December of 2017, I was like, I want to do this uh, for the foreseeable future. I just became really passionate about it. And so I was basically publishing like a project a month at that point. And so wow. I was getting a lot of emails from people who were like, how do I write and publish my first adventure. Like you seem to have a process and a workflow that really works for you. And since part of my background is in education, working with writers, I was like, you know, I'm getting a lot of emails about this. I feel like some folks could use, you know, maybe a a writer's workshop around this topic to, you know, just basically share the process. And so I put together at the time, um, it was just an email series and I just kind of put it on Twitter and I was like, if anyone's interested in writing an adventure in one month, um, basically as an alternative to National Novel Writing Month, because they have a Mm. summer program. Um, If you want to do a tabletop adventure during that time, let's do a workshop together. And I thought like 20 people would sign up. And then I got like 500 signups, like almost (laughs) immediately. And so I was like, okay, there is a need for some guided resources about this. And so I kind of went into educator mode and put together a more formal guided workshop. And that's basically what became the Write Your First Adventure workshop. And that still remains like our, our, you know, our flagship course. And, and that structure is now something that we emulate throughout all of our RPG Writer Workshop programs. Um, so that was the start of it. I just, I wanted to share the process that was working for me, knowing that people would hopefully take that and make it their own. And it's always easier to make your own creative process when you can start with something as a guide rather than just starting from scratch and trying to figure it out. Um, so that was kind of just the philosophy behind it. But that's that was the, the start and the evolution of the RPG Writer Workshop. The Storytelling Collective launched a book club program this year called Bookworms. That's worm like a dragon. It's a great resource for those interested in reading more games and learning about them. I've linked it below. Here's Ashley describing what led to its creation. Our our core kind of philosophy there is, well, it's a few things. We never want people to just start from scratch in the creative process. We always want them to have a starting point that is very actionable. And I mean, with the hopes that they take the process and make it their own. And then we really want to always encourage people to think like researchers and to think and like to basically take their craft seriously, because Mm -hmm. a lot of folks come to us and they want to write their first adventures for lots of different game systems, but they've never opened a game book before. So they just know abstractly what they want to create. But really the the best starting point is to read adventure (laughs) content, mostly because that reveals lots of things. One, it shows that adventure books, you know, regardless of game system, they're more technical documents than they are creative books. You know, it's not like reading a novel or a short story when you're reading a a tabletop game. It's very much a structured, guided, technical manual, basically. Uh, There's lots of creativity there, and that's not, you know, antithetical to that, but it's, it's a structured document. And so the more you read those, the more you can see how 
different games are structured and it helps you kind of conceptualize, okay, this is, I have this idea in my head, but seeing how different games are, are actually formatted and written, um, you know, can help make that less abstract. Um, and also there's so much game theory and philosophy and literary theory that goes into designing a game. And so the more you read it, the more you can think like a game designer, because it's very different to come to game design um, as, you know, from a player perspective or even from, you know, a dungeon master, game master perspective, like that way that you're interacting with game content is very different than being a designer writing stories and adventures and systems that other people are going to interact with. How do you think study fits into your own sort of process when you're when you're working on adventures or if you're working in your own sort of work where do you where do you find yourself doing um study and looking at other games i love the research process as a writer mm -hmm. it's always where i personally like to start because i get a lot of inspiration during the research stages uh, so for example when i'm designing things for DD, &D, i almost always reference the monster manual mostly because mm -hmm. there's creatures there's like just such a wealth of creatures available and sometimes a specific creature will give me this starting point for a whole project because I want to explore something about that creature, whether it's the lore or maybe they have a specific move that I find interesting and I want to really find a way to build a story around that. And then I also like to delve into the mechanics of a game, game system to really take advantage of things that people might not be using as much. Um, mm -hmm. Like in D&D, I love writing um, setting and atmosphere rich stories like that's something that really excites me. And for those who um, maybe aren't familiar with D&D writing, there's kind of what's called the three pillars. There's social mm -hmm. um, environment or like exploration and combat. And those are kind of the three pillars that compose most of the game. And so many adventure content or adventures are written kind of with those three pillars in mind. But sometimes I find that exploration is the one used the least. And so mm. knowing that I try to sometimes design adventures with exploration in mind, knowing that that's kind of an underused uh, mechanic. And so when I can reference the actual game books, it, you know, I can look for things like that. I can really hone in on, on that. Um, and then also is, I, I'm just referencing D&D because it's it's kind of the entry point for a lot of folks. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> and it's kind of the one I have the most experience with, but I am working on stuff for other games. But um, I, I just find like there's there's so much like the art in the D&D mm. books is so gorgeous. Um, so that can give you lots of inspiration. Like even if you look in the player's handbook as you're learning the game, if you look at the art in there, those can inspire stories. Like they don't have stories mm -hmm. attached to them just yet. So that's information that you can basically use for your own purposes. And so if you use, you know, the, the existing game material you know, to your advantage, you have a lot to start with. And so for me, I always try to, you know, use really treat the research process as a vital step in my personal process. Like I take mm -hmm. notes, I just think about like, what do I find interesting about this particular game that I want to explore? And, you know, how can I write um, an adventure or a story that really takes advantage of that? So for me, research is like a necessary part of the process. Um, and especially when you're working on professional projects with these publishing companies, like you are expected to know these games in, in and out. Um, like when I was working on Rhyme of the Frostmaiden with Wizards of the Coast, which is like one of their books that came out a few years ago, like there's a lot of existing lore for that setting. So I wanted to make sure that I was studying 
that lore. It's like you're still given freedom to build upon it, but I wanted to make sure I had some foundational knowledge. So, um, and that's pretty common for people who are working for tabletop companies. If you're working on a book that has lore that's already established, um, you're, you are expected to do some of your own research and, and be familiar with that. Do you ever feel like the, the research stops? Is it, is it, do you feel like you're always kind of going back to your inspirations or to the rule sets when you're working on these projects? Or do you feel like you set aside a time at the beginning, you've done the work, now you get down to put your head down to design? Is, it, is, there, is, is there a point where that stops? Yes, I think it has to stop because it's very easy <laughs> to let research, um, you know, put off your momentum of actually writing. And I find that with mm. fiction writing too that sometimes you just have to get words on the page. You just have to focus on story, like focusing too much on the details, the mechanics, the lore, et cetera, can, you know, put a damper on actually making progress. Um, So for me personally, I do research, I extract my notes, then I get to writing and I try not to research as I'm writing. What I do a lot is I put a lot of placeholder things. If I'm like not sure about something, then I'll just put placeholder, I'll put some questions for myself. And that way when I have a draft done, I can then go back and clarify some of the things that I needed to clarify because I could, I love research. So I could very easily like continue to go down the rabbit hole and like never actually write anything. And, um, I also try to really keep my project scope in mind, like how much research is really necessary for this particular project. Am I Mm. using, you know, the research as kind of an excuse to pad, um, you know, an adventure when I really need to be focusing on pacing and plot and and story and other elements. So it's just things that you just have to know about yourself as a writer, which only really become clear the more projects you do. And I just know that that's a fault of mine that I could really easily go down research rabbit holes. So I try to Mm. cut myself off and set reasonable expectations for how much research is actually necessary to tell a story, Um, especially for adventures. If you're writing a one-shot adventure, research is important, but it's not as necessary as like when you're doing a long campaign or things like that. So yeah, I do have a cutoff point for sure. (laughs) The process of opening up a rulebook can be really intimidating. They seem to all have a specific way of presenting their information. I asked Ashley what her process was for opening up a game book and finding the information she wanted to learn about. When you are opening, if you're looking at a, a rule book, where what are the things that are standing out to you the most? You've mentioned art. You've mentioned things about the layout, which is is a whole other thing about studying um, and learning from there. Like, what stands out to you about those elements? Sure. So, I mean, I think. The, the imagery and actual formatting of a book conveys a lot about a game system and what it finds mm-hmm. important. Um, I think studying like the table of contents, like look at the information architecture. Like how does that information flow? Like what's the starting information? Is it setting? If it's setting, then that's like that conveys a lot about the game system. Like, you're, you know, you have a game system where the setting is really important and the mechanics lately, likely you know, tie closely into that. Sometimes it starts with character building, um, you know, guiding people through the process of creating a character, which can kind of mean that the setting might not be as important in this game system. It might be more of a rule set rather than, you know, something that's really closely tied to this, you know, this, the, the setting, um, for it, like the lore might be something that isn't quite as vital to actually running this game. Um, so I like to look at the table of contents and just think about the format of the information and kind of the flow of that information and, and try to figure out what I think that means about the game itself. Um, and I, again, like the art, it kind of speaks to the, you know, the feelings, the more intangible 
elements of it that the vibes <laughs> I will use that word a lot just because it's kind of true it's like it's what mm. you know it's evoking for for um you know anyone who's opening that book it gives you know g- game masters lots of insight into what they need to be doing at their table to convey some of that um like I think about blades in the dark which we're currently reading as part of our book club and you know that has a very like even the name blades in the dark is very evocative and the cover is very you know kind of like mysterious and evocative and um and that's that really comes through with just how that book is written and how it's formatted it has a kind of sparse um interior design it's very thoughtful in its approach to interior design there's not a ton of art on every single page um which really allows you to hone in on the on the on the words of the system um and then some games take the total opposite approach like D has a ton of art in its core rule books because it really wants you to understand like all the options you have for building characters and and kind of how rich that lore is and how how much there is to that so i think when you can look at the art of like what what role is art playing in this game um, how much of this, how much do the game designers want some of this to be open to interpretation or how much are they giving you to kind of use and apply? Um, and there's no right or wrong answer there. It's just kind of like what you think that role is. Um, you know, what is what is the role of art and layout? Um, you know, if you have books with a lot of negative space, it's like they really want you to focus on the words. They want you to focus on the system and the mechanics. Um, and then some like that's, it's more, you know, just that for the atmosphere and things like that. So, um, and then also if you look at those things, you can, again, take what you like and apply it to your own. If you're writing your own game system, um, you know, what, what kind of approach do you like? Do you, which, which do you navigate toward more? So those, mm. those, um, thinking critically about those can give you a lot of insight and it kind of, it's kind of the, the cheat code to thinking like a game designer. Um, not because there's like one clear answer, but they're, those are all usually very intentional decisions being made by the game designers, even though typically in published tabletop books, the actual layout designer and the art director and the game designer are all separate people, but there's still a lot of overlap there and in, in kind of the, mm. the goals of all of that working together. I think if, to someone starting out like myself, it, it wasn't immediately obvious the connection between layout and system. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I, I, I'll have to go and now do some real study and look through some some examples i'm thinking of like of lancer which i think you know that is a mech rpg and has a very mechanical sort of look to it it's not a huge amount of art but when the art is there it really stands out as well um yeah no i'm gonna have to really think about that one (laughs) for me finding a way into game design was challenging i wasn't sure exactly what to look for and where to start do you feel like there are good resources out there for people interested in game design and writing this sort of stuff, like apart from looking at the rule books, do you feel like there are actual places for people to go to learn this stuff? Yes. I mean, we're certainly not the only people who have, you know, who offer educational resources. There's a few points here though that I want to make. One is that there's a lot of educational resources for tabletop or people interested in tabletop. I personally find that most of them are for people who want to play or run the games mm. or even create like basically homebrew their own games, but not necessarily for people who want to write and publish. And so that's kind of like we try to really focus on people who want to be professional tabletop writers and actually publish their work, which isn't always you know feasible depending on certain game licenses and stuff. So there's there is a wealth of educational resources, but if you want to find things that enable you to publish there is that as well, but it's a little bit more limiting. And Mm. another thing is that there are a ton of great resources on 
game design and game theory. And I find, though, that those tend to be a little bit more advanced for people who are starting out. And personally, our philosophy at Storytelling Collective is start with your process. You can always add theory and add the more advanced things once you've actually started and finished a project. Until you finish something, you can't really level up your skills. It'll all just be abstract knowledge in your head. So even if your first adventure is like what we would call railroady, which means that like you basically have this very linear story, like you're kind of forcing players to go from point A to point B to point C, which is kind of the pit that a lot of new writers fall into when they're designing their first adventure. Everyone's like afraid of being railroady where you don't want to force people on one track. It's okay if your first project is a little bit railroady because once you finish that first project, your next one won't be because you've already explored an idea and you've 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 done your whole creative process from start to finish you can start adjusting your creative process based off of how you like to create and then you can start thinking more about more advanced game theory like okay like i had this cool idea for my first adventure I liked this part of the process. This part was a lot harder than I expected. Here's what I'm going to do differently about this one. And I also want to make sure that my actual like narrative structure is a little bit more nuanced, you know, has more branches and things for people to explore. So um, I felt like a lot of game designer programs were skipping to the advanced steps before the foundational creative process steps, which are universal for any creative endeavor um like for that's why we do you know um, programs for things like comics and and other things because the foundation of the creative process is something that we found is universal across all these different mediums so i would say like that's kind of what informs what we do it's we don't really claim to make our programs like the most advanced like you know, thorough game design programs ever. But we know that once people get started and they write and publish their first adventure and they learn how to study game books, like those two foundational skills that they can check off of their professional list open up so much more for them because now they know how to read a game book and they can be more mm-hmm. critical about that. When they are writing their next piece, like they they, are, they know what to think about now. They know what the process is like from the other side of it rather than just, you know, being the consumer. So um, that's, there are lots of resources, I think, for anyone who's really serious about game and narrative design. There's lots of great books out there. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty, at this point, it's, it's a field of study that's been around for several decades. So you'll mm-hmm. find a lot of information and there's a lot of great, um, like video game resources as well, which people who write for video games, like, you know, narrative designers and game designers in that field have a lot of similarities with tabletop. So there's a lot of resources available out there for you. But if you're just starting out, I think start with the basics of how you like to work and create, and then you can go from there. But that's, that's just my spiel. <laughs> no, that's a very good spiel. Um, I think you highlighted there uh, what has been a bit consistent over making this series, is, um, the idea of just do it. You just, you just have to yeah, take those first steps because once you take those, the next are easier. Because Storytelling Collective has such a big focus on building a personalized creative process, I wanted to know about self-study and how we can look at our own work and learn from it. You mentioned there... Um, once you've finished your first project, your first product, you've published it, the idea of adjusting that. So that's another part of study, which is like self-study and reflection. Um, how, does, how, how do you think the process for that works? For once you've finished your project, what are the things you look back at or you'd want to look back at, at your work that you've just completed before it's starting the next one? Sure. I think it's such an important part of the process. Like I think for new people, um, you know, trying to form their own creative process, 
you know, have that baked into your process. Like the, the last stage of your process is not publishing. It's not even the promotion steps. It's the reflection steps. So a few things to, to think about are what parts of the process do I feel came easily to me or most naturally? And where did I feel like I ran into some friction? And depending on that, you can make some process changes. Like if you felt that, you know, halfway through you started to really flounder and you started to get, you know, disinterested in your project, you know, when it started to get real and hard, um, you know, part of your process may be finding ways to keep yourself inspired and motivated to continue. Maybe you find someone to be your accountability buddy, or you use your inspirational resources. You know, that's something we talk a lot about at the beginning of our programs is making mood boards and playlists and all the fun stuff to keep you really excited about your project. Um, So maybe those things become really important parts of the middle stages of your, you know, creative process. Um, Or maybe you like that really nitty gritty part, but you get really stuck at the ideation phase. So that's when you can come up with some different strategies to, you know, ideate and, you know, pick your idea. Um, so it's, it's ultimately up to, you know, every individual to figure out what works best for them. And also the more you do projects, if you really feel like you're running into those points of friction all the time, maybe that's when you find a great collaborator who is really great at those parts, but maybe doesn't like the parts that you like. And then you work together to, you know, produce work where each of you are focusing on your, you know, the parts that you really get excited about. Here's Ashley's final advice, a great tidbit on how we can get prepared for our first projects. I mean, in general, I really strongly believe that writers should be readers. So make reading part of your process. It's not it's okay to take the time to study before you get started. I feel like when I first started writing my own adventures for D&D, I did a lot of research. I downloaded a bunch of adventures from Dungeon Masters Guild, and I looked at just how they were formatted and just try to wrap my head around how that worked. And I promise you that if you spend the time doing that, it'll clarify a lot of the process. It's not that it will be easier necessarily to write your first games, and I don't want to I don't want to make it sound daunting because that's a really fun, rewarding process. But if you if you don't take the time to do that, I think it's a lot harder to get started. And a lot of the questions we get during Write Your First Adventure are usually answered when we can point someone to a one-shot adventure to look at because they can kind of see, okay, here's how how much information they provide at different stages in the adventure. Like here's, you know, even like the 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 specifics of like where do you put your stat blocks? Like where, you know, where do you do this and this? Like it's helpful to just see examples of that. So I would really encourage people to make reading a part of the process and treat it, you know, if you're gonna be a a, a writer, an aspiring writer, like be a student first, like embrace the process of learning because we're all learning. You don't have to be an expert right away. And um, that'll give you a really good foundation for when you're ready to start your first project. So we've learned a lot about the importance of study, of building it into our habit, and also not getting bogged down in the detail work and holding our creative side back. I set out to do some study. I looked at big games like Blades in the Dark, Thirsty Sword Lesbians, Lancer, and yes, Dungeons and Dragons. But I also looked at smaller games like Morgue's Paranormal Wellington and John Harper's Lasers and Feelings. My main takeaways were that you really can try anything. Any assumptions I had from my years of playing D&D are gone because I've seen different ways to achieve the same things, and options I wouldn't have even dreamed of. I was particularly inspired by narrative mechanics that allow everyone at the table to engage with storytelling mechanically, and some of the rule sets that had systems for complex relationships between players. I'm going to write up a special article on the Wait, Roll That Again substack about the study I did and specific elements from each game that I found interesting. 
I've linked the Substack down below, where on the weeks between podcast episodes, I'm writing a small design update about the Halloween game project itself. If you're interested, you can enter in your email and subscribe for free. It'll tell you when a new episode goes live and when there's a new article. I'd love it if you checked it out, and I'm sure you'll get something of value there to help with your own journey into game design. Next time on Wait, Roll That Again, we'll be talking about mechanics, and maybe, just maybe, we'll be putting some to the test. I hope you'll join me and continue making this game together. Wait, Roll That Again is hosted and produced by Alex Rinkovich Josie. We're produced in association with Salient Podcasts, a network of student-based podcasts in Wellington, Aotearoa, New Zealand. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your TTRPG friends. And if you want more game design work and to keep up to date with our spooky game project, check out the Wait, Roll That Again substack linked below. Thanks for listening, and ka kite.